my name is Dimitri. I'm Isabella. Alexander. I'm Zali. I'm Teddy. And I'm 23. And I'm 16 years old. Did you know almost 28,000 young people aged between 12 and 24 are homeless in Australia earlier on any given night? Did you know that a survey of young people on youth allowance found that 9 in 10 skip meals and 1 in 3 have withdrawn their studies because of lack of funds? Did you know that 1 in 3 young people aged 15 to 24 who seek help from homelessness services identify as Indigenous? Did you know the youth unemployment rate is now at 13.9%? More than double the national average. In the spirit of reconciliation, Y Foundations acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Young and Homeless podcast brought to you by Y Foundations, New South Wales peak body for youth homelessness. Y Foundations supports services who support young people who are experiencing or at risk of homelessness. My name is Pam Barker and I'm the CEO of Y Foundations and I will be your host and I'm honoured to take you on the journey while I interview passionate and dedicated human beings who want to end youth homelessness in Australia. In this podcast series, we will chat with some amazing speakers who are politicians, government workers, service providers, researchers, academics and people with a lived experience of homelessness. We will tackle some of the important issues faced by children and young people at risk of or who are experiencing homelessness in Australia. Our podcast is launched today on Youth Homeless Matters Day with a special four-part Youth Homeless Matters Day episode. We want to explore what Youth Homeless Matters Day is all about and why youth homelessness is still such a critical issue that we should all care about today. So on this episode, we're joined by Lex. Lex has extensive and diverse experience in the community service sector with over 20 years of experience working with young people in government and not-for-profit. She has worked in juvenile justice and is on the board of Y Foundations, currently serving as the CEO of Youth Off the Streets. Welcome, Lex. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So, Lex, I'm asking everybody a unique question to break the ice, something that our listeners may not know about you. But I want to ask you the question, when you were a young person, what is one of the most wildest things you did? Oh, you can't ask me this. (laughs) Seriously. Um, Wow. Okay. When I was in first class, Avalon Infant School, um, my best friend and I decided we were going to burn the school down. (laughs) And we Jeez. took paper and matches to school to set fire to one of the demandable buildings. But, wow. um, yeah, look, six-year-olds don't think things through properly, I don't think. So <laughs> it didn't really get off the ground. We were caught. Parents were called in. At and six. I guess it's somewhat appropriate that I ended up uh, working with young people in custody for 10 years. There you go. What a story, huh? Imagine if you pulled it off. Yeah, there was no way that was going to happen. No? <laughs> no, I, I don't think, no, that wouldn't have you happened. Didn't, you didn't have the skills to light the match at six, six I don't. I don't think so. And, look, I bought the newspaper. I wasn't bringing the matches. That was, uh, <laughs> that was my co-offender's task. 
Oh, the irony. Well, it gives you a very, very unique insight into uh, young people in juvenile justice, those experiences, don't they? Exactly. We were all young once. That's it. That's the way I look at it. Like, you know, they're there, but by the grace of God is a lot of it with young people in custody, I think. Yeah, you're very right. I wanted to start by asking about your professional journey. What led you to becoming the CEO of Youth Off the Streets? I guess what led me into this sector was I was studying psychology at university and we were doing um, psychometric testing and I I wanted to go through some of the psychological testing to see what it was like to do it in, in practice and there was a job that came up that you had to go in and do the testing for and I went in, tested for three hours, got a call back for an interview and that was with juvenile justice and I stayed there for 10 years, and, and we, which was kind of weird really because I, I, I wasn't a fan of, of criminals or young people necessarily at that point, uh, having been a young person myself. So, But, yeah, I absolutely loved it. 10 years at Yasmar and Juniperina wow. working in the girls' jails. That would have and been then, quite an experience as a young person going into a role where there's other young of, people. Yeah, it, it kind of it was. It's sort of you really don't have any idea what to expect when you when you go into something like that. I mean, I mean, how can you really? But I I remember I was watching I was watching Harry Potter actually with young people in the unit one evening. It was the first Harry Potter movie, and uh, one of the girls that was in custody, and she her and her, her siblings had been in custody. She was sitting there. It's a bit where Harry's under the stairs, and uh, he's, he's living in his and uncle's place mm-hmm. and she was absolutely horrified by this like she's turning around she's gone Lex he's not, he's not living under the stairs is he and I'm like yeah and she was like there was some colorful language used as well yeah. and this went on for a little while and I was like let's let's talk about this afterwards because it was disrupting everyone yeah. else who was trying to watch the, <laughs> the movie and then she was quiet for about five minutes and then she just turned around she went nah that's beep um they'd be getting a carer's pension for him Mm -hmm. as well and i thought wow this is probably the only place i can be sitting watching this movie and get that sort of reaction from somebody who who really had had no reason to be concerned about other people's welfare considering the situation that she was in but that was what she was thinking about how hard done by he was um, so I stayed there and, and I, got, I got frustrated with watching young people who kept coming back into custody purely because they were sort of victims of circumstance or, you know, where they were, were born or, or how they got involved with police. And it was there didn't seem to be any way that we were breaking this cycle of juvenile justice, which was the motto yeah. for juvenile justice. And I thought there's got to be a way of doing something earlier to help bring some change for these young people because we just kept seeing girls go through Yasmar and then Juniperina and then end up in the adult jails at Mullawa and then you're playing. So I went and and stayed working casually there but went across and did work in um, not-for-profits at Stretcher Family in 2010 to get a bit of an experience of working in not-for-profit space uh, and they had out-of-home care contracts and reconnect contracts so that was good to look at a different government yeah. contract cycle. Then I went to the PM Youth Accommodation Service out at Penrith and that was more exposure to different areas of the not-for-profit space again. And then a job came up at um, at Don Bosco at Marrickville at the Youth Office Streets. And I was living in Marrickville at the time. Uh, and I thought it'd be good to work a little bit closer to home. And I applied and got the job at Don Bosco and Dunley Drug and Alcohol Service. And that was, will be nine years ago in June. Wow. And, and now the CEO. There you go. Did you ever plan to get into the role yourself? Did you want to be a CEO one day or did it just happen? I hadn't really thought about it. I'm one of these people that works places because they like working somewhere and it's not so much about where I can end up. But I guess when you acquire, you know, 
knowledge over a period of time, then you sort of have a sense of, of duty as well to make sure that you're giving that back in, yeah. in your area. So when Father Riley approached me a couple of years ago and said he was creating a, a deputy CEO role and he wanted me to go into that role, I thought, well, you know, that's really great that he's, that he's considering <laughs> me. He must have some, some faith in me. So I was, was happy to do that. And then 12 month, months ago, he said, look, um, I want to step aside and move into the founder role and I want you to be the CEO. So I thought, well, that's what he wants. Like, you know, as the founder of the organization, if you're choosing, it wasn't wasn't me applying for a role and going in for an interview and sitting with a panel of people and saying, you know, am I the right person for this? This was the founder mm-hmm. of an organization making a decision to say, I want you in this job. So yeah. I, I felt it was, you know, it was fantastic that he asked me, but I also felt um, that that was what I needed to be doing as well. I mean, you know, put a legacy of fathers to preserve and I'd worked closely with him for, you know, a period of time. So yeah. uh, I, I knew what he wanted the, the organisation to do in the future. So I ended up here, I guess, by default. Yeah. And, and who aligned. takes on the CEO role after yeah. the founder? Like that's just <laughs> a, a ridiculous thing to do. <laughs> Like it's not something if you were thinking about doing it intentionally, it's certainly not something you'd think down and think about and go, Oh, now what I think what my ten year plan is that I'll, you know, I'll go in and I'll, I'll work with the founder <laughs> of an organization because that'll be really good to find out why the organization started and all those sorts of things and then I'll end up wanting to take over from them. Like nobody would have that on their uh, no. ten year plan. And I guess it's he's entrusted you with a very important um, I guess his baby, his life and energy he's put in throughout his time, he's entrusted that to you to carry on the legacy, making sure youth off the streets continues to support young people in the future and fulfil his continued dream. That's a huge exactly. honour. Yeah, exactly. That's it. I mean, you know, you, you can't turn something like that down. Mm. Yeah, it's it's you're, you're the person that, that they want to have in, in something that's been his whole life. 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So, and I know because I've got the emails at <laughs> random times to prove it. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's, he's put his, 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 all of his working life into this organization and incredibly proud to think that, that I'm the person he wants to be in that role now. Yeah. Considering we also, we don't, we don't argue. That's, we Passionate have banter. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we do. We have really good conversations because we're both, we both like to be convinced by somebody else that our way is not necessarily the right way. So, and, <laughs> yeah. which is good because it's, it's done in a way that is respectful. And then we'll think about what each other said and come back and say, you know, hey, you said this the other day and you were right because of X, Y, and Z. So I think that's helped as well. Um, father likes to have a bit of a, he likes to be challenged. Um, yep. So I think that that was that was what our relationship was built on: respectful challenging of each other's ideas. Yeah, which obviously leads to growth in both yourself as a human and in the art form of your work. Is that freedom to be able to challenge and stretch ideas, beliefs, viewpoints yeah, to get exactly. better outcomes? Yeah, yeah. You spend a lot of time in working in structured environments where you can only do so many things, and you've got all these ideas of what you'd want to do if you're given an opportunity to do things differently. And and coming here, I was all of a sudden given those opportunities to do things differently and unable to try things and have them work or have them fail and I think that that's really important you've got to give people the opportunity to make mistakes um and you know that's what I tell staff it's like you know if you're not making mistakes you're not you're not doing something differently so that it's okay you know we don't we don't go out and intentionally do the wrong thing but every now and then decisions that we make mightn't work out that's good we learn from it so I've had that opportunity to do that here and and I'm incredibly grateful for that. 
And that's a really nice segue, actually, Lex, to my next question. Can you tell us a bit about Youth Off the Streets and father's work over his time? Well, we start, it's our 30th anniversary this year. Happy um, birthday. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, trying to plan that after COVID is interesting. Um, yeah. We're in the middle of, <laughs> still in the middle of COVID. Um, we started in 1991. Father started actually riding a horse around King's Cross, sort of supporting homeless people, and then decided that he wanted to, you know, take that further and build an organisation. And we ended up with the food van that's mm-hmm. been running now for 30 years as well. And then the first service that we got was we got into Don Bosco house which we still have so we still have food van we still have a street walk program that's operating yeah. in the city and we still have don bosco and they're the, the three services that youth off the street started with all those years ago wow we're now in three states we have services in logan and uh in melbourne as yeah. well we're all across sydney we're up in the hunter mm-hmm. valley as well we have a, a mix of government and government contracts so we're 50 percent government funded mm-hmm. and then 50 percent funding from other avenues whether it's corporate partnerships um, individual giving small grants bequests regular givers uh it's a it's a mixture of of different bits of funding that allow us yeah. I guess to be more flexible in in what we want to want to do which means that if there's a need to go to a particular area we can go there and provide a response without having to wait to go through a tender process or yeah. wait for government to analyze whether or not there's a need there which is is good as well it gives us some flexibility and it, it gives us the opportunity to run some pilot programs that then you know hopefully in the future we can get longer term government funding for but yeah it's enabled us to be I guess a bit more responsive than than you might necessarily be if you're just funded by government. We we provide support to around four and a half thousand young people um, wow. a year through casework, crisis, transitional accommodation, drug and alcohol programs. We've got six schools. We do a, a range of services. It's basically just supporting just young people. It's not really, I guess you could say at risk, but then you know, teenagers generally at risk, aren't they? Yeah. It's just part of growing up. So it's just it is. basically supporting young people and communities and and families in need. Yeah. You guys do a lot of work and you've got the legacy there of that work. It's it's not new work. You've been doing this, as you said, since 1990, what was it? 1991, did you say? Yeah. 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 So you've, you've been in Sydney for a very long time and expanded services to meet the needs of young people. This podcast is being released today on Youth Homeless Matters Day. So we're asking everyone, why does youth homelessness matter? Um, reflecting on all of that, Lex, why does it matter? Why should people care? Well, I guess directly relating it to to youth off the streets, we should care because when youth off the streets started in 1991, there were roughly 10,000 young people homeless in the country. And today, 30 years later, there's 10,000 young people at risk of homelessness just in this state alone. So, you know, 44,000 young people across Australia. We obviously haven't solved the problem. We haven't got close to fixing it. And if no. we were a if we were running a business, we would have gone under years ago. So, it's it's a, a problem that grows every year and it's it's something that we need to to find a solution to. And it mm. shouldn't be a solution that's just about well, we're going to end homelessness or we're going to halve homelessness by 2020 or we're going to do it's it's like let's look at what the issues are and how we can do it in in a way that's that's not something that that you think could have been you know dreamt up over the breakfast table it's like it's Mm -hmm. it it needs a little bit more thought than that we've tried a lot of different things uh, over the years and and we're just not getting it right and it's not something that's just 
solve by building more houses. Um, no. You know, there's it, it's a whole of country response. It's it's not something that's the responsibility of the not-for-profits to work out with government. It's it's yeah. everyone's responsibility. Everyone has a right to a home. Everyone has a right to, you know, feel safe and be able to, you know, live whatever life it is that, that they choose to live to yeah. a degree and, and you know, some people don't get that opportunity. No, they don't. No, not at all. I was just speaking to one of our young people earlier in a previous interview and he talks a lot about every young person has the right to having a home and feeling safe and having the resources that young people need in those surroundings and that not necessarily giving a young person a home and putting them in that home on their own is the best solution. I guess what's your thoughts on that, understanding the Sydney climate and young people? I know you have the the outreach, um, street outreach, and I've spent some time with Gary and seen some of the impacts of young people being placed in housing on their own. What's your thoughts around more of the young people appropriate supported housing models? This is something that I guess it's not just for young people, it it's extends to, to adults as well. But that was, I remember we got a, a couple of houses provided to us when, when Brad Hazard was minister um, a few years ago and, and they would provide accommodation for rough sleepers. And we had a couple of long-term, we were the only youth provider that was given properties and we had a couple of long-term rough sleepers that we put into those properties. And it was when there were a lot of people uh, rough sleeping down at Wentworth Park yeah, there was a tent city down there, and Gary was providing support to these young people after hours, and he'd go around, you know, to the accommodation, and they weren't there, and no. it's like, you know, where are they? And they'd be down, back down at Wentworth Park because yeah. they didn't want to be in a bed sit by themselves. They they no. felt safer around other people, and they were safer. They felt safer in a tent with with other people, and they felt um, in their own locked property. So I, I think it's it's that whole thing of, you know, a roof doesn't just fix homelessness. It's not just no. about about shelter. It's about you're dealing with people that have emotions and, and a, a mind that determines what it wants independently. And I think that we try and provide a one-size-fits-all approach and we don't take into account that some people like to be around other people. Yeah. Some people prefer to be by themselves and there's people that would would love to go into accommodation that was just their own. But then that then creates can create another issue where you have people that are just completely isolated and and don't, you know, communicate with anyone and that that brings its its own set of, of issues. I think that young people, we they shouldn't I don't know why we would think that it would be appropriate to put uh, a young person in accommodation by themselves. I mean, we we talk about the reasons why young people are homeless and and the fact that they lack living skills and they lack that support of a family. Yet our, you know, sometimes our response to fixing that is putting them in a place by themselves and saying, "Hey, well, you know, call this number if you need help." So there needs to be a way of looking at providing the the right accommodation response with the right support for individuals and not just making it about this works for everyone because it doesn't and we've seen that. No. Those young people ended up, you know, finally over time utilising the space inside more than the, the, the tent but part of that was because the, the tent's got pulled down as well and and we also provided a lot of support for young people and, and assisted them and called in and we were there a lot 
when they needed to talk to somebody else. Um, there needs to be a consideration that I, I think exists more after nine to five hours. It's interesting yep. the workforce has evolved that, you know, there's no real standard hours of work anymore. Like lots of people work different mm. shifts and rotating rosters and not, you know, and work weekends. Their weekends might be a Tuesday and a Wednesday, but we still got this strange idea that providing a, a, a response to homelessness is, is more of a nine to five response. And we talk about Mm. We talk about anything after that as an after-hours response, and I don't know why we talk about it as after-hours because no. it's it's a 24-hour response is what we should be providing, and we should yeah. be looking at, at services that are able to do that if we're if we're serious about about providing proper support and making a difference longer term. Yeah, because you just you know homelessness just doesn't happen between nine to five. Well, it's it, and <laughs> and also like yeah. you think about things yourself as well. Like a lot of people start to to stew on things and pull things apart you know at night when they go to bed or mm. um you know after they've finished work for the day and they're, they're starting to think about things more and you, your mind can do incredibly crazy things to yourself um mm. yet we think well we'll just do that nine to five support and mm. in the evening when you're sitting there alone you work it out yourself so i yeah we do we've got to have more of a more of a 24-hour response yeah definitely I agree with that. So this year has been particularly difficult with COVID-19. There's additional pressures as a result of COVID within in itself. The sector's overstretched. There's no new funding. We know across our sector lots of services have struggled or are struggling and young people are feeling the effects. What are some of the issues you are currently facing in your service and has COVID-19 worsened? Very good question. Um, Worsened? I don't know whether it's worsened. I think it will certainly worsen things over the next few years i mean homelessness was was all was increasing anyway it wasn't the numbers weren't going down prior mm. to covid um and and because i guess of the pandemic and the things that have happened you, the assumption would be that that would increase so that's that's not something that would be necessarily coming out of the blue for us i guess um the, the interesting thing for us was that when covid first happened we had young people contacting our services for support in the crisis Refuge, for example, that were young people who uh, had, I guess they're just, you know, regular young people going into jobs where they work or they survive pay, paycheck to paycheck, yeah. fortnight to fortnight, and they don't have savings. No. Uh, but they're comfortable. They've got enough to, they know what they have to live on. They know what they've got to go out and socialise. And they're getting by and they're fine. And they don't yeah. need to, to call on a service like ours. But then all of a sudden they did because they lost their job. They yeah. couldn't pay their rents. There was not any other job opportunities for them and they were contacting our service saying, you know, I don't know if I'm calling the right person but I need help in this area. Can you help me? So I guess the fact that we got a group of young people contacting us that would not be our normal client group in normal circumstances put an extra pressure on our services. Yeah. That combined with the fact that that our young people that were looking for work then became part of a, a much bigger pool of people looking for work because yeah. of, you know, 800,000 people losing their job in a day. Um, and then the, the stresses associated with that for the young people and, and the stress of the pandemic. Like we, we were concerned that we were worried about how we were going to isolate young people in a crisis refuge when you couldn't really isolate them. Uh, and and how we're going to continue to provide that 24-hour support and how we're going to stop them from leaving. And But what we realised very quickly was that they were were seeing what was happening around the world with people dying and they were like, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to actually stay here. (laughs) 
which yeah. which was was good from a, an isolation yeah. point of view. Um, we just put more staff into the services to provide uh, more activities for all the young people to do because yeah. they couldn't necessarily go anywhere. But then there's also the, the the things that go with that is that there's an increase in in mental health concerns yeah. and because you know you know what you were like when you were rich. I mean I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know about everyone else. I speak for myself, but um, very but, emotional but, young person. <laughs> well, yeah. but you know you you also think to a degree that you know you you go through a period of time where you think you're a bit bulletproof and invincible. Yeah. And when you see something like the, this pandemic that's happened and how it's just impacted everyone, that sort of gets pulled out from under you very quickly. And you combine with that, you know, a young person that doesn't have a home, you know, has to stay somewhere that's really not a home. It's, it's a crisis service, no. but they can't go anywhere because they've got to isolate. They're worried about what their future looks like because they can see all these people unemployed. Yeah. No jobs. They know that there's this job okay. keeper thing that's existing for a period of time, but then that's going and they're sitting there thinking, well, what does this mean for me? And yeah. then you can see that, you know, reports like the the Brain and Mind Institute have, have put out to say that by 2022, there's going to be a 60% increase in, in young people um, and in general having mental health issues. It's like, yeah. it's not hard to see how that's that's going to happen. So I think that I think as a service, I don't know even if I've answered your question at all, but I think as a service we've managed COVID well yeah. and part of the reason we've managed COVID well is because our young people have helped us manage it um, and they've been more receptive to wanting to be safe themselves. And even with our schools, we we had we had a decision to make with our schools because we were going through this this period at the beginning of COVID where every second day we were having to shut them down and, and you know, do cleaning and, and have people tested. So we just went made a decision to go, look, we're going to go to remote learning uh, with the option for young people to come into school who, who may not be able to stay at home. But then we were worried about whether remote learning, we would be able to get young mm. people to, to log in. Yeah. And what we found was the opposite. Young people embraced that. We, in some areas, we had a higher attendance, you know, remote learning the yeah. class. And then the flip side of that also was that when we did open up again and were back full-time face-to-face, young people were, were waiting for that. They were begging to come back to school. So yeah. in, in a weird way, COVID sort of helped young people be more engaged in their education as well from our point of view yeah so we've we've learned a lot through that period of time we've put some pilots in place that we learned through COVID we've got a living skills program with our homeless young people that a big focus of that is around mental health because we know that, that that's an issue that is, is always around for our young people but it's going to be yeah. bigger um, this year and, and into next year and we've got a, a solar program that's a, a combination of remote and face-to-face learning for young people as well that gives them right. the, the option of being able to come to school and stay at home and do a bit of a combination um, until they're comfortable being being in the school environment full time. Um, so yeah, it's COVID's been a it's been a learning experience for everybody, I guess. And, yeah. and I just think that we have managed to to get through it better than we initially thought. And a, a big yeah. reason for that is that that young people have been, you know, really wanting to make sure that they're looking after themselves and each other. And that's that's been a huge help for us. Yeah. So COVID, while it is a bit of a, I guess the downside is, is we're going to see an increase of young people needing support. It has brought out a lot of positive things in how we offer support, how we 
you know, relate to young people, young people's reactions and how much they actually do care, which is really nice segue to my next question for you is that, you know, we want to dispel the myths Australians have about homelessness and how this affects young people and draw on your personal experience in work and ask you the question about what you think some of the myths are and why is it important to dispel them? Because I know in one of my earlier interviews, one of the interviewees talked about judging young people. And as you said, it was surprising sometimes to see young people really affected by COVID and that they did care about others and their peers and their life, their reactions were a little bit different than you realise. So, you know, I think sometimes we we can sometimes make assumptions. What, what are the biggest um, myths you've seen in this area when it comes to young people? The biggest are that, that young people make all these choices that, mm-hmm. that, that end up with them being in these circumstances, which I think is... It's. I mean, you, you see, you see people walk past people in the street who are, are begging for money and and mm-hmm. thinking that that that's because you know they've got a drug addiction or or yeah. it's a choice they've made not to live in a house. Um, but I think that we're not good at educating the community about the reasons why people are homeless. I yeah. mean, we're not we're not good at. You know, there's a there's a lot of people in in well, New South Wales alone that wouldn't know that there's ten thousand young people homeless no. or at risk of homelessness tonight. You know, that's and and that's why why wouldn't we know that? Um, yeah. Why 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 is it okay that we don't know that? So of course we're going to have all these other assumptions um, as to why they are homeless, and it, and it's going to be well, you know, parents will probably think that teenagers are difficult. Um, yep. <laughs> and that you know, they've they a lot of them threaten to leave or yep. families threaten to kick them out, and it's like well they've probably just decided they've had enough and they've gone yeah. so it's it's their own fault that this has happened but for a lot of no. young people and so there are some young people mm. that, that choose to leave but I don't think that yep. that's a fault no. as such it's just a decision that they make and some people make decisions that have you know bigger impacts on their lives yep. but it doesn't mean that because the young person's left home that everything is their fault and it doesn't mean that the response required to help support them shouldn't be communities. I mean, it, it's interesting when you think that we remove young people from from homes that we don't think are supporting them enough because we think they're entitled to more support and they're entitled to the things that, that we think everyone should have, which is, is equal opportunity. Yep. But if you end up going to, you know, sitting on the street asking for money, somehow that's you're a different person than the person who's been removed by government. And it's like, well, that young person might have had a whole host of issues that, that should have meant they needed more support before. Um, I mean, we find that uh, that a lot of young people that come to, to look for accommodation at our crisis services, they come to us because at that point they need somewhere to stay. But when you start going back through their history to work out what led them here in the first place, invariably, you know, 80% of the time, it's a breakdown in, in family. It's, you know, it's a breakdown at home initially that, that's led them to their domestic or family violence. And, you know, that's not the young person's decision. And most young people put up with a lot of things at home before they make a decision to leave, especially around domestic family violence. Yeah. Um, they usually don't want to go. They're usually no. The meat in the sandwich, I guess, in a lot of places played off one one party against the other. Um, they go and stay at families, friends' places, um, relatives' places until they, they get to a point where they've had enough. But it's not their choice. And, and I no. think that we need to realise that you, your teenage years, for the most part, are, are made up of lots of first experiences. And I think that us as adults forget because we're so, I don't know, we're so used to our everyday life. 
lives when we get up and have our cup of coffee, we get up at a certain time, have a cup of coffee or go to the gym or whatever we do and walk to work the same way or drive the car the same way or park in the same car space and sit at the same desk and do everything the same, that, that our lives are pretty routine and a bit more mundane. And for young people, their lives are a, it's a whole new learning experience. It's mm. like there's so many firsts that they experience that um, we forget that. And, and we seem to think that they've <laughs> got all this logical decision-making and, and years of, of, of us reading reports and knowing why people do things and, and knowing the, the mental health responses to things. And we, we sort of assume that, that young people know the same thing and it's, no. it's not the case at all. They're interested in what's happening today and maybe the end of the week. And beyond that, you know, they who knows? So <laughs> I think we need to, to realise that, that young people need to be allowed to be young people and that they're usually a victim of circumstance and it's not a choice that they've made to be homeless. Uh, It's not a choice they've made to go and stay in a refuge with 10 other kids that they don't know who, you know, might yell at them about, you know, their sexuality or steal their belongings or cause them grief. It's like that's not a choice people are making. No. So I think that we need to educate the community and the community needs to take more responsibility. Are we more interested in the whole of the community and, and not look at, at homelessness as as a problem that we just want to push aside, but but look at it as a as a problem that we can actually solve if we, we look at it differently. No, and you're quite right. That's a one of the very valid final comments you've sort of said, Lex, is that, you know, it is a community issue. It's not just a homelessness service issue or a young person issue with homelessness. You know, everyone from your banking exec, exec to your property developer to the principal of a school to the head nurse of a hospital to a doctor or a surgeon, youth homelessness should matter to every each and every one of us because um, it affects each and every one of us in different ways, even if we want to acknowledge it as a society and we pay for it in our taxes. Um, we pay for it in our young people being incarcerated and not living fulfilling lives. So I think as a society, if we join together and we're a bit more aware of youth homelessness and how each of us can make a difference, we may be in a better position as a society to decrease the numbers instead of the increase in numbers that is consistently happening. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And I guess this podcast is really designed to help those who may not understand youth homelessness really get an understanding of it. So Lex, I couldn't agree more with all the things you've said and I want to thank you for coming and sharing your thoughts um, on youth homelessness with us and being part of our inaugural Youth Homeless Matters Day launch of our podcast series. It's been great to have a conversation with you um, and hear about your journey as CEO and all the amazing things Youth Off The Street does. I want to thank you for your work and your team because we know you know, it's not just yourself. You've got an amazing team that work and walk alongside you. Um, and if it wasn't for father's legacy living on in your leadership, um, youth off the streets wouldn't continue to do the great work it does today. So thank you for what you do and um, for our young people in our community. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Pam. Yeah, I'm very lucky. I've got a fantastic team of people and a, a very good uh, founder of an organisation. So, yeah, I've Got, I've got people that will help make me look good. <laughs> That's the key. <laughs> That's what I keep telling them. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You're only as good yeah. as the team that exactly. walks beside you, you. You Seriously, you are. You've just got to have a bunch of people that actually like coming to work and like doing what they're doing. And if you've got that, uh, that's the most important bit. Unstoppable. Yeah. Make a real difference. 
Thanks, Lex. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Young and Homeless podcast. See you next time.